Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They do terrific work. And you can give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. <clears throat> the website is lifeinnaples.net. We've got a great show for you today, including special guest Keith Flaw, the co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. Michael Cannon is the director of health policy studies at the Cato Institute. Seton Motley is the president of Less Government and also the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett will be joining us as well. It is May the 25th, and on this day in 1787, four years after the United States won its independence from England, 55 state delegates, including George Washington, James Madison, Benjamin Franklin, convened in Philadelphia to compose a new U.S. Constitution. The Articles of Confederation, ratified several months before the British surrender at Yorktown in 1781, provided for a loose confederation of U.S. states, which was sovereign in most of their affairs, on paper, Congress and the central authority had the power to govern foreign affairs, conduct war, and regulate currency, but in practice, these powers were sharply limited because Congress was given no authority to enforce its request to the states for money or troops. By 1786, it was apparent that the Union would soon break up if the Articles of Confederation were not amended or replaced. Five states met in Annapolis, Maryland to discuss the issue, and all of the states were invited to send delegates to a new constitutional convention to be held in Philadelphia. On May the 25th, 1787, delegates representing every state except Rhode Island convened in Philadelphia's Pennsylvania State House for the Constitutional Convention. The building, which is now known as Independence Hall, had earlier seen the drafting of the Declaration of Independence and the signing of Articles of Confederation. The Assembly immediately discarded the idea of amending the Articles of Confederation and set about drawing up a new scheme of government. Revolutionary War hero George Washington, a delegate from Virginia, was elected convention president. After three months of debate, the delegates devised a brilliant federal system characterized by an intricate system of checks and balances. The convention was divided over the issue of state representation in Congress as more populated states sought to proportional legislation and smaller states wanted equal representation. The problem was resolved by the Connecticut Compromise, which proposed a bicameral legislature with proportional representation in the lower house, of course the House of Representatives, and equal representation of the states in the upper house or the Senate. On September the 17th, 1787, the Constitution of the United States of America was signed by 38 of the 41 delegates present at the conclusion of the convention. As dictated by Article 7, the document would not become binding until it was ratified by nine of the 13 states. Beginning on December the 7th, five states, Delaware, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Georgia, and Connecticut, ratified it in quick succession. However, other states, especially Massachusetts, opposed the document as it failed to reserve undelegated powers to the states and lacked constitutional protection of basic political rights, such as freedom of speech, religion, and the press. In February... Uh, 1788, a compromise was reached under the Massachusetts and other states would agree to ratify the document with the assurance that the amendments would be immediately proposed. <clears throat> the convention was thus narrowly ratified in Massachusetts, followed by Maryland and South Carolina. On June the 21st, 1788, New Hampshire became the ninth state to ratify the document, and it was subsequently agreed that the government under the U.S. Constitution would begin on March the 4th, 1789. On September the 25th, 1789, the first Congress of the United States adopted 12 amendments to the U.S. Constitution, the Bill of Rights, and sent them to the states for ratification. Ten of those amendments were ratified in 1791. In November 1789, North Carolina became the 12th state to ratify the U.S. Constitution. Rhode Island, which opposed federal control of currency and was critical of compromise on the issue of slavery, resisted ratifying the Constitution until the U.S. government threatened to serve Commercial relations, sever commercial relations with the state. On May the 29th, 1790, Rhode Island voted to, uh, by two votes 
to ratify the document, and the last of the original 13 colonies joined the United States. Today, the U.S. Constitution is the oldest written national constitution in, oper- in the operation of the world, in the operation in the world, I should say. So, big deal, and it certainly served us well for well over 200 years. Well, Governor Ron DeSantis announced that registration for the 2023 Florida Python Challenge is now open. Participants this year will have the chance to win a share of more than $30,000 in prizes while removing invasive Burmese pythons from the wild. Starting today, those interested in participating in the 2023 uh, Florida Python Challenge can complete the required online training to uh, compete in the 10-day competition, which runs from August the 4th to the 13th. The competition is known to both professional and, and is open to both professional and novice participants. Each to his own. I, I can't imagine wanting to participate in that. But uh, since day one, we've prioritized uh, Everglades restoration by investing record funding for conservation projects and increasing resources for the removal of invasive Burmese pythons that harm the treasured ecosystem, said Governor DeSantis. Because of this focused commitment, my tenure in office has accounted for more than half of the 18,000 pythons removed from the Everglades since 2000. So it should be interesting. The competition this year, as I'm sure, will continue to eradicate the pythons. Don't know if the job will ever get done, but it's certainly going to uh, reduce the population of pythons in the Everglades. Well, of course, uh, as you probably know, Florida Governor uh, Florida uh, Governor Ron DeSantis yesterday announced officially declared his campaign for president in 2024. I announced his White House bid on in a video ad on Twitter. Uh, I'm running for the president to lead our great uh, American comeback, said DeSantis in his first presidential campaign ad. We needed the courage to lead and, and the strength to win. Well, I must say, uh, I was watching Steve Bannon's War Room and expected to see the launch on Twitter. Well, there was certainly technical complications, and <laughs> it was almost embarrassing for two reasons. Number one, uh, it didn't start on time, and I think they lost more than half of the people who wanted to participate in the launch on Twitter. <clears throat> but number two, Steve Bannon was unprepared. He didn't have programming if, in fact, that uh, wasn't uh, launched uh, on time. So it was uh, kind of comical to watch in that sense, or actually embarrassing, but uh, irrespective, it finally got off, and they did the announcement. Quite, I think uh, he was ill-advised to launch on Twitter. He should have done it at some place that I'd like a, uh, uh, in in a church or uh, some place where he has some sort of standing and population uh, following. But he didn't, and uh, I'm sure that'll pass, and uh, he'll get his uh, campaign on track uh, after in a, in a little while, I'm sure. Well, fiscal conservatives say the U.S. won't default on its debt in early June, as the Biden administration has warned in its attempt to pressure House Speaker Kevin McCarthy into agreeing to raise the debt limit ceiling without offset spending cuts. We're not going to default on June the 1st, Arizona's GOP Representative Andy Biggs, a member of the conservative-minded House Freedom Caucus, said on Tuesday. As Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen continues to warn about how missing the deadline will result in economic disaster, we're not going to be, uh, default even if you don't raise the debt ceiling, Big said on Just the News, not Noise, a TV program, which, by the way, is a pretty good show. We're uh, going to have one of our biggest months of revenue in the month of June, so people need to understand you're not going to default. <clears throat> Georgia Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene said Wednesday, the administration is building a pressure cooker campaign to push the House to raise the debt limit without anything else included. They want to get the Republicans in a tizzy, she said in the Real uh, America's Voice TV network. We're cool as a cucumber because we aren't concerned about it. We did our job. We passed a bill that cut $4.8 trillion in spending to raise Joe Biden's debt ceiling, and he's one that can't uh, come to the table, she said. The spending reductions in GOP-led bill are estimated over a 10-year period. Biggs is saying June is a big revenue month. That's true because quarterly tax payments are due in June. Mark Goldwein, a budget expert at the Committee for Responsible Federal uh, Budget, said Wednesday. However, he said those payments aren't due until June the 15th, so they aren't going to save us until we can otherwise get to June 13th or so. 
Uh, though May is just a few days from ending, it's still too early to know exactly what the U.S. will default without a statutory debt ceiling increase. Uh, we have big payments on June the 1st and 2nd, so either of those are possibly continued, but it could also be as late as June the 7th, 9th, based on other estimates. But we shouldn't try to go into the, the very edge. We should try and reach a deal, said Goldwyn. Certainly true, but <laughs> McCarthy has dismissed the House for the uh, May uh, or Memorial Day uh, break. And he said, look, if we need you, we'll call you back. Otherwise, go have a good time with your families. And uh, I think it's probably left the Democrats on their heels on this issue. So we'll see how this all kind of turns out. Well, uh, <clears throat> this is amazing to me. And how this ever happened or was allowed to happen, I have no idea. But Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation ran an $8.5 million deficit and saw the value of its investment accounts plummet by nearly $10 million in the most recent tax year. Uh, the uh, group logged a $961,000 loss on a security sale of $172,000, suggesting the char charity weathered a staggering 85% loss on the transaction. These troubles uh, didn't stop BLM from doling out seven-figure contracts to friends and family of its former executive director, Patrice Cullors, uh, who once said the charity financial disclosures were triggering and deeply unsafe. <laughs> I'm sure she did feel that way. It was no surprise that Cullors was so fearful of disclosing Black Lives Matter finances to the public. The revelations in Black Lives Matter's latest Form 990 show that the group is on fast track to uh, financial insolvency and that the excesses of the Cullors' tenure have not abated under, under her chosen successor, Shalamaya Bowers. The financial loss comes after a year of missteps and setbacks for the embattled charity. <clears throat> BLM raised just $9.3 million in 2022 fiscal year. Now, who would dole out money to these folks? Down 88% from its haul the previous year, Black Lives Matter was forced to shut off its uh, online fundraising stream in February, uh, 22 because uh, due to compl compliance and transparency issues. The group has blown through two-thirds of the $90 million it raised in the wake of George Floyd's death in the summer of 2020. Black Lives Matter spent about $12 million of those funds on luxury homes in Los Angeles and Toronto. So where's the accountability? How can they, anybody allow this to happen? Don't forget the Gateway Pundit previously reported that donations to Black Lives Matter were also going directly to Act Blue, the fundraising platform for the DNC. It's not clear how many millions of dollars the Democrats raised by pushing on the roots of this roots to the pub American public. Uh, the uh, raise of BLM has uh, led to a massive crime spike in America's major cities thanks to weak-kneed politicians bowing to BLM's pro-crime ideas. This includes defunding the police while multiple Democrats have adopted as a crying rally. <clears throat> Rallying try, I should say. The demise of Black Lives Matter movement cannot come soon enough. Complete bankruptcy for the national organization is a good start, for sure. Uh, and, of course, uh, there are congressmen and uh, progressives all uh, uh, pra giving praise to Black Lives Matter. What a, what a scam that, that all turned out to be. Unbelievable. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Keith Flaw, co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. 
Ulubi's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulubees.com and stop by Lulubee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulubee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulubee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252-4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Coming up, we're going to be uh, visiting with uh, Seton Modley, the founder and president of Less Government. Right now we have with us Keith Flaw. Keith is the co-founder of a terrific organization. It's called the Florida Citizens Alliance. Keith, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Keith. Tell us about the Florida Citizens Alliance. Certainly. Yeah, we're a, a grassroots organization, a coalition. Uh, we now have over 250,000 uh, Floridians in our active database. Um, we and, and work with over 100 grassroots groups across Florida. Uh, we focus on K-12 through education, uh, trying to uh, get rid of the indoctrinations in our schools, uh, obviously supporting uh, school choice and... Uh, and uh, you know, just getting rid of the pornography that's in our public schools. So we get involved in a lot of different areas related to trying to give our kids a better education. Yeah, I just want our listeners to know that the Florida Citizens Alliance is an organization that perhaps has had the most uh, compelling uh, impact on the quality of education in Florida in the last decade. I think uh, you've done a great job, Keith, along with Pastor Rick Stevens and the others at the uh, Florida Citizens Alliance for uh, just really improving the uh, quality of education in our schools. So thank you for that. Well, thank you for uh, acknowledging that. We've built a great team. Uh, in fact, we just announced a new executive director earlier this week. So uh, we now have a, a complement of four full staff members um, focused on policy, uh, building micro schools, and uh, uh, and our marketing manager, along with our executive director. So uh, we built a solid team, and we, uh, uh, not to sound uh, t- too uh, arrogant, but we really have uh, made a difference in, in many ways. Uh, no so. question. No question. So uh, goflca.com is the website, goflca.com. So, uh, Keith, I understand that uh, you've uh, won uh, a lawsuit here recently. Yeah, let me uh, me give your listeners a little background because it all started back here in Collier County. Um, About five years ago, we filed a lawsuit uh, against the Collier County uh, school system for violations of the Sunshine Law. Uh, It took about almost four years to wind its way through the courts, and then last year, uh, the Florida Supreme Court sided with us and uh, found uh, Collier County um, violated the Sunshine Law. and, and um, as a result of that, they had to remove $4 million worth of social studies books and redo their process. Uh, the reason that's really important in the lawsuit we won last week was against Sarasota County because many other counties use the same committee process to adopt social studies textbooks. Uh-huh. And so uh, we've actually filed lawsuits in Sarasota County and Indian River 
uh, last week, uh, Sarasota settled their lawsuit, um, agreeing to completely redo their social studies and, and math uh, textbooks reviews, starting within the, a 30-day time frame. And uh, they even paid our lawyers' fees, so that was kind of a, a good thing. Um, but, you know, it, it ties back to these school districts are just so arrogant when it comes to sunshine law. You know, we just saw the same thing happen uh, recently with uh, with our school board where, you know, Alfie Oaks has filed a lawsuit against them for uh, our school district for the violation of the Sunshine Law. Yeah. Uh, they have to, and they don't get it, they, they have to operate in the sunshine. And uh, they keep trying to fudge that, and uh, it just uh, seems to never end. So what are you, changing topics a little bit, but what do you think the merits are of the uh, Alfie Oaks case against uh, the Cuyahoga County School District? Well, I haven't studied it in depth. I have talked to Steve Bracci, who's their uh, lawyer. And, uh, you know, on the on the surface of, of what they've done uh, or not done properly, it seems like a pretty solid case because basically it's the same case we won. Uh, it's just on, uh, instead of on textbooks, it's on the process of, of hiring a uh, a new superintendent, uh, they, they hired a firm who ended up uh, whittling the group uh, the candidate list from forty five down to ten, without any public involvement. Huh. And uh, I mean that's the that's the sunshine law. Yeah. And so um, you know on the surface it seems like it has some pretty good merit. So uh, I guess the remedy he's seeking is to have uh, the. Uh, appointment of the superintendent of schools here in Cuyahoga County annulled and uh, to start over the pro- start the process over. Right, uh, and that's what he's asking for. So we'll see how that proceeds. Um, so. It's a shame because uh, you know Cuyahoga County. Uh, we a lot of us spent a lot of energy getting uh, three new school board members elected, and uh, it seems like. Uh, uh, we're not uh, those new members. Not all of them, anyway, are pursuing what they got elected for. So we'll yeah. see how that works out. Yeah, disappointing indeed. Well, uh, by the way, we're so fortunate here in Cuyahoga Number one to have the Florida Citizens Alliance in in Florida, but also North Carolina Governor Ray Cooper, or Roy Cooper, I should say, declared a state of emergency yesterday because he because uh, he's in, uh, da- he is in danger of losing the school choice debate. In a video-proof, uh, voter, veto-proof legislature, and his own daughter goes to a private school, costing over thirty-two thousand dollars a year for day tuition. So he's trying to stop school choice in North Carolina, and of course, uh, he's not even walking the walk. He's uh, sending his daughter to a private school. Uh, you t- Bob, you just can't make this stuff up. No, no you can't. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what else to say about that. But uh, I mean, there's so many things that the left is doing that's just. Uh, you know, beyond all sanity, in my view, and uh, that's just another example of of, of the left. Uh, you know, believing that parents shouldn't be parenting their their, uh, their kids, that schools should be parenting their kids, and uh, fighting against uh, school choice. I mean, it, it, you know, give me a break, right? Oh well, and plus it also just underscores how these people think they're political political elites, and laws don't apply to them. And it's sure. uh, it's really disgusting, frankly, uh, to see. But uh, again, I just want to underscore how important it is that we have school choice. In fact, we probably have the best school choice program in the nation uh, here in Florida. Just very pleased about that. Yeah. No, there's no question. House Bill One is a big uh, step <clears throat> forward. We'll see how it gets implemented. And we we try to make it a little bit better when it comes to uh, protecting homeschool families. But uh, at the end of the day, it was it, it is a great bill that uh, puts competition back into our public schools, and uh, you know it, it, that alone uh, should have a tremendous uh, long term effect on the quality of education in Florida. Uh, before I let you go, I just want to get some comments on what's ha- coming up on June the thirteenth. I believe is with the Guardian program. Right. Um, the Collier County School System is going to be considering um, the Guardian program. And for, real quickly for your listeners, that came, uh, that whole process came about after Parkland, where the state legislature and Governor Scott at the time um, uh, provided uh, for administrators and teachers who uh, are thoroughly trained with 144 plus hours of training to, to conceal carry on school property. 
And Lee County just uh, two weeks ago passed that seven to zero. Um, it's going to be in front of our school board on the 13th. Uh, we've got it up on our website. We've got uh, videos that you can actually listen to uh, two very prominent sheriffs in Florida uh, to tell us why this is such an important uh, program. And so we urge your listeners to uh, go to our website, look at that, and uh, sign a petition there, and then show up at the school board meeting on the 13th. Right. Uh, no more, no uh, school, what is it, the, uh, the, no, no weapons in uh, the schools. If that was reduced, if they, uh, somebody had it in their mind to attack a school and kill the kids, and knowing full well that maybe 10% of the teachers are armed and have concealed yeah. carry, they'd certainly have second thoughts. Well, gun-free zones are magnets for, for crazy people. Right, they are. Right. No it's question. just kind of that simple. <laughs> Absolutely. Again, Keith Law, co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. Please check out GoFLCA.com. GoFLCA.com. Keith, really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, have a great weekend, Bob. You as well. Thank you. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with uh, Michael Cannon. He's the Director of Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. you have questions about your retirement, Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratostel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Finish what you started with a Hodges University wheel. You can complete your bachelor's degree in as little as one year with your previously earned credits. What's the wheel? It's a customized bachelor's degree in organizational management. Learn about and apply the business, management, and leadership skills you need to advance your career. You can get unmatched educational experience with classes held once a week on campus in Fort Myers, in Port Charlotte, or Naples. You'll be immersed in classes taught by professors with real-world experience in the areas of business, management, and leadership. This degree can be applied to all areas of professional career. Learn more by calling 239-938-7700. That's 239-938-7700. Or visit Hodges.edu. Stay near and go far with Hodges University. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse. Changing lives through exceptional theater experiences, and they're going on right now. You can get tickets and find out more about the beautiful playhouse that's being built in downtown Naples. Go to gulfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. Right now we have with us Michael Cannon. He is the director of health policy studies at the Cato Institute. Michael, thank you so much for joining us. Great to be here, Bob. Thank you, Michael. Tell us a little bit about the Cato Institute. We are a libertarian think tank in Washington, D.C. That means that we support your right to live your life however you want, so long as you respect the equal rights of others. And that means that we don't want the government taking your money or taking your freedom and telling you what to do with each or, you know, spending your money on your behalf. Right. We want there to be a government that... That, uh, that protects your life and your liberty uh, and your property from force or from fraud, but other than that, leaves you free to live as you please. Thank you for that, Michael. And again, just the corollary to that is that uh, the, the road to hell is paved with good intentions by government employees. So, so uh, you know, we're, we're having this uh, debt ceiling debate or showdown, whatever you want to call it. I wonder if this, any of this splashes on our uh, uh, public health uh, policy. 
so uh, what's happening right now is, as you know, the Congress has let the Treasury borrow up to run up a debt of up to $31 trillion. And we're rapidly, you know, we hit that limit. And now they're trying to play some shell games so they can keep paying their bills. But the underlying problem is that Congress is spending more than the American people are willing to pay in taxes. How much more? Well, we're talking about a federal budget of about $6.2 trillion. But the uh, but tax revenues only amount to 4.8, so that's a 1.4 trillion dollar deficit that the federal government is running, and looks like it's gonna be running uh, for years and years. And to their credit, Republicans are saying if they if you want to issue more debt, we're gonna need some spending cuts. But the way that the Republicans and, and President Biden are going about this is completely ridiculous because they have ruled out almost. All categories of federal spending, uh, including the ones that are driving federal deficits, and said we can only cut spending in a couple of narrow areas. They've ruled out defense. They've ruled out Social Security. They've ruled out Medicare. They've ruled out Medicaid. But once you do that, there's almost nothing left. There's, There's nothing left to cut, and you can't get there from here. You have to address those programs. Well, and not only can you address them, it's not like you're going to have cuts. You actually could address them in a way that would provide, in my opinion, uh, more freedom for Americans in making their decisions and uh, reduce costs. That, that's right. If you reduce the, uh, the amount the federal government spends, that's what determines the overall tax burden, whether you're paying the taxes now uh, or the government's issuing debt and imposing those, that, that tax burden on future taxpayers. But also when it comes to uh, Medicare and Medicaid, which are driving the long-term, the federal government's long-term spending and debt problems, mm-hmm. if you reform those programs, not only can you reduce spending and reduce the tax burden of those programs, you get better, more affordable health care. So here, what I don't understand is where's the resistance? Why don't we just do it? Oh, the resistance is incredible. The resistance comes from... Well, they don't want to cut defense spending because there's all sorts of defense contractors that set up shop in every congressional district around the country. They say if you touch defense spending, you're going to eliminate jobs in your district, and so they're all uh, terrified to do that because that's a deliberate strategy of the military-industrial complex. Right. And this the story is, is very much the same when it comes to health care. There are hospitals in uh, every or almost every congressional district, but there's definitely lots of health care providers and the pharmaceutical industry also spreads its operations around the country so that if Congress thinks about doing anything that will cut Medicare spending or cut Medicaid spending or even just restrain the growth in spending in those programs, uh, they hear from uh, lobbyists who say this is going to eliminate jobs in your district and it's going to harm your constituents, you're going to lose your next re- your reelection campaign. Uh, and Democrats... And, and while Republicans harp on uh, uh, any effort to cut defense spending, Democrats then harp on any effort to cut health care spending. And, uh, and, and so we're stuck with this stalemate. Yeah. But there should be ways for both Republicans and Democrats to rally around cutting spending in Social Security and Medicare and Medicaid because there are a lot of high-income people who are getting subsidies through those programs who don't need it. We right. shouldn't be taxing low-income people to subsidize higher-income people, as those programs do. So uh, if we had a patient, if we just had a program that was patient-centric, in other words, the patient uh, is making the decision with regard to cost, making choosing based on not only the quality of care but also the cost, that in and of itself would reduce the cost of health care. And there's a model for that uh, right in front of our faces. <clears throat> This, it's the Social Security program. Mm-hmm. If we reformed the Medicare program so it looked like Social Security and just gave seniors cash and trusted them to spend it on their medical care, they would spend it much more carefully than the bureaucrats at the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services spend it. And we would see prices fall. We would see uh, health care come within the reach of people who cannot afford it today. 
seniors would be able to access more and better health care. The quality of health care would improve. And this is exactly why the healthcare industry does not want that to happen, because they don't like lower prices. They don't like higher quality competitors coming in and taking uh, their market share away. But you don't even need to get to that sort of dramatic reform of the Medicare program in order to make a dent to the federal budget. All you need to do is require the high-income Medicare enrollees to pay more of the cost of their Medicare coverage. We've already done this. We, it's called, we call it means-tested means premiums, where the premiums that higher-income Medicare enrollees pay are more than the premiums that uh, that uh, lower income enrollees pay. So the higher income folks have to pay a larger share, uh, pay for a larger share of their Medicare spending. This is something that unites Republicans and moderate Democrats. It isolates and marginalizes the diehard Medicare for all crowd that thinks uh, that health care should be, uh, uh, should be, quote, free for everybody. And it can help to uh, reduce the deficit and show that Medicare is not a third rail, that we can cut spending in Medicare. Yeah, I agree. If, if I had the choice, I'd have the, uh, the federal government send me back the money they're spending uh, on my health care uh, in my premiums and let me buy a, uh, <clears throat> get a health savings account and uh, catastrophic care coverage. And I'm sure I'd save money and have better care. And, Bob, I, I, I think that you're, you know, I haven't seen your financial statements or your tax returns, but I have to think that you're doing pretty well, yeah. and you're one of the people who could probably be paying higher premiums to the Medicare program, or if we reform Medicare along the lines of Social Security, uh, you might be getting a smaller Medicare check than lower-income people are getting. Yeah. And I think that would be all to the good. I think that... Uh, you and me when I turn age 65 and others uh, who, uh, who, who are fairly well-to-do don't need as much assistance from the federal government. A lot of us don't need any assistance from the federal government in order to, to purchase medical care, and we shouldn't be getting it. But the, what this highlights, I think, is how irresponsible Republicans have been by uh, just allowing Democrats to take Medicare off the table and not have these serious conversations. All right. Again, Michael Cannon, Director of Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. I encourage you to visit cato.org, C-A-T-O dot org. Michael, really appreciate your commentary on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Great to be here, Bob. Thank you so much. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Finish what you started with a Hodges University wheel. You can complete your bachelor's degree in as little as one year with your previously earned credits. What's the wheel? It's a customized bachelor's degree in organizational management. Learn about and apply the business, management, and leadership skills you need to advance your career. You can get unmatched educational experience with classes held once a week on campus in Fort Myers, in Port Charlotte, or Naples. You'll be immersed in classes taught by professors with real-world experience in the areas of business, management, and leadership. This degree can be applied to all areas of professional career. Learn more by calling 239-938-7700. That's 239-938-7700. Or visit Hodges.edu. Stay near and go far with Hodges University. you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now 
I'll play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me, and he'll help you too. Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. You've heard me talk about uh, Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center. Great breakfast or lunch. They're now serving dinner Wednesday through Saturday evening, 4 to 8 p.m. It is absolutely fabulous. Linda and I are going, I think, tonight, tomorrow night, if I'm not mistaken. But the point being is great food, great comfort food, great seafood. Uh, you can, uh, and no reservations, very casual. Go to uh, Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree, Green Tree Shopping Center. We have with us Seton Modley, the founder and president of Less Government. Seton, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Seton. Tell us about Less Government. Yeah, we exist to reduce the size, scope, and sphere of influence of government, and I had to move to Belize to get it. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not a very popular. A lot of people talk the good talk to talk, but they don't walk to walk. That's right. So, uh, Seton, uh, you wrote a good column, uh, FTC over crying wolf while unleashing government wolves. Maybe you can tell us about it. Yeah, the Federal Trade Commission uh, under Lena Khan is who Biden appointed in the Senate foolishly confirmed. I'm, I'm trying to put more pressure on the Senate to not just, you know, McConnell said one of the dumbest things ever when he said, well, the, president, the Democrat president won the presidency. He gets his judges. No, he doesn't. Yeah. Just just because he won an election doesn't mean he gets to vi- appoint people that will violate the Constitution. That's not how this works. That's right. You're advising consensus to ensure the people who will adhere, adhere to the Constitution get get confirmed, and that's just not judges. That's everybody. And well, you know what? That that, he, that guy is no is all form and no content. He does. Oh, listen. I'm when I, I first moved back to D.C. in '06, I got my first political job with Richard Vigory, the founder of, uh, the creator of political direct mail. And he was in Manassas, so I wasn't going to D.C. As soon as I got my job at the Media Research Center and was going to D.C., I met a guy. <laughs> my, again, my mouth moves faster than my brain. I met a guy who was a pretty, a pretty senior staffer for Mitch McConnell. This is 2008. He said, oh, he said, he said, oh I work for Mitch McConnell. He said, oh, he needs to go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And he went, what? Yeah. And of course, remember, way back then, no one was talking like that in D.C. You know, you had yeah. Reagan's stupid 11th Commandment, thou shalt not speak ill of other Republicans, was still in full effect. And I'm like, what a dumb commandment that is. Yeah, anyway, so so these people don't shouldn't be confirmed if they're telegraphing that they're going to violate the Constitution. By the way, they should also be confirmed if they're a woman and can't define what a woman is. Right. Uh, I'm referring to the Supreme Court Justice, but right. that's a separate issue. Um, so anyway, this woman gets confirmed, Lena Khan. She's very young uh, as far as these things go. Um, it was funny, I read an article about her, I think from 2014 or something like that, less than 10 years ago, and she was on the phone uh, in front of the reporter, and she got off the phone, she goes, that's the American Bar Association. They want me to come speak, and I haven't passed the bar yet. Um, um, and, and you can't so, make this anyway, stuff up. Yeah, so she's a, she's a radical leftist. And listen, she got some Republican votes be, precisely because she's a very vocal critic of big tech power and said she was going to take that on. But the problem is, she, uh, she approaches everything in the economy with as much zeal and government overstep as she would. And, uh, you know, I don't think it's government overstep approaching big tech. I think Google controlling 92% of search market in the world is a bit of a problem and probably should be addressed by the Federal Trade Commission. The problem is she wants to go out to everybody as if they're Google. Yeah. And that's not how this is supposed to work. And again, it makes it harder for people like me who agree with her and some of the Republicans that voted for her based on the big tech grounds. You can't defend her because 
for every one good thing she does about Google, and she's not doing nearly as much as she said she was going to on the big tech companies, for every one thing she does that's good, there's 50 things she does that's completely crazy. Yeah. And overreach. And it's, it, I, I listed a bunch of uh, lawsuits that these guys have filed against mergers and other activities in the private sector by companies that are just completely not dominant market forces. Right. Just two little companies or one little company. Engaged. The, the, I, 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 found, I, I learned this in my research. The economy is almost $22 trillion. Uh-huh. The, the, the Federal Trade Commission and the Justice Department can look at any merger with a combined market cap of $101 million. That's nothing. Well, that's a little small. Yeah. In a $22 trillion economy. Yeah. I mean, especially with inflated money. Yeah. Where the money's inflated and you're, you're, you're combining two companies with inflated values based upon fake money and saying, and saying that's enough of a justification for government to get involved. Well, that's a little, that's a, and she's using that. I mean, one of the examples, many examples I use is JetBlue and Spirit are airlines and they want to combine. Well, the airlines are dom- the airline industry is dominated by four companies: the big four: Southwest, United, American, and I can't remember the fourth. But then the drop off between four and five is huge. Probably American. JetBlue, uh, part, uh, Southwest. Did yeah. I say Southwest? Uh, yeah. I think they're fourth. Anyway, the drop off between four and five is huge. It's just, I mean, it's three times as many passengers as the fifth place company is the fourth, and. JetBlue and Spirit are like six and eight. Yeah. So they're they're completely they're almost irrelevant to the industry, and they want to combine. They'll still be, I think, half of what Southwest is at number four combined. Yeah. And and the FTC suing to stop the merger. Crazy. And it's like, how is that addressing monopoly? How is that helping consumers? Because one of the one of the problems the conservatives have gone too too far with. And, and, and too narrowly defined is what's in the consumer interest. Right. And they've narrowed down the consumer interest w- window to about three seconds. Is it cheaper for the consumer at that moment? Well, you, you, you have to broaden the scope. Because if Google buys, you know, I, I looked it up weeks ago. Google buys a potential competitor every week and has for 20 years. Wow. So you don't know what would have happened if those competitors had been allowed to come to fruition and what that would have that that would have reduced the prices or that would have better improved service for customers well and you have other things you have other things besides cost you have convenience you have just a number of things that improve service so that that, on the face of it it sounds like uh, they're on a uh, they're out chasing windmills and uh, to your point uh, certainly on uh, on the smaller mergers one of my favorites just real quick is their uh uh Altria is a cigarette company, and they bought Juul, yeah. which which was a a, a smokeless uh, nicotine thing for people who try to quit. Well, they bought it, and then the government basically outlawed the product, huh. so it lost like ninety five percent of its market value. And now the government's saying, "Well, we got to unwind that purchase." And my first thought would be, Altria would be like, "Sure, please, can we get our money back?" No. <laughs> yeah. um, but, but um, you know, the government outlaws it, and now they're bizarrely trying to go back in time and say, this merger shouldn't have happened. Well, you already outlawed the product. Why are you hounding this company Yeah. with this merger unwinding business when the company, you, you already compl- made the, rendered the company completely valueless? So they're, they're hyperactive. And like I said, if they were going after Google, if they were going after Amazon, if they were going after Apple... I I'd, I'd have I'd go buy pom poms somewhere in Belize. Yeah, <laughs> but 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 there there's the, too little of that and way too much of this other stuff. Yeah. Uh, Seton Motley again, the founder and president of Less Government. I hope you uh, visit Less Government, read this column because he he's right. He's got a, a, a lot of examples of. Uh, companies that have att- attempted to merge. Little tiny companies getting sued. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Lessgovernment.org is the website, or, and you can visit Less Government on Facebook. Seton, really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much, sir. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Bill Barnett, former mayor of Naples. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> 
Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. They get the politics and they know the policy. They prepare elected officials to have winning strategies in state legislatures. And you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. We have with us the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett, maybe the finest mayor in the history of the United States, Bill, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. What have you been drinking today, Bob? <laughs> a little early in the morning for that. Well, you really did a great job. Well, thank, thank you. Yeah, um, so, no, I did not watch uh, uh, the Sanders' announcement, and I, I heard they had a few um, audio problems or visual. Which which was it? Well, it was, uh, I don't know that there was, there was never a visual it, they kind of were talking on the phone, so the the visual never oh, right. sh- never showed up. I, I think they were planning on visual, but uh, it looked like a server was down or they were having some technical problems for sure, but they didn't have a backup plan, and as a consequence, there was 20 minutes of silence, and it was oh very embarrassing because, you know, when you're... And you could tell they were trying to do something productive and say something productive. Now, having done uh, this type of thing for years, you always have a backup plan. <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> and they didn't, and it was uh, someone. I'm sure this will all pass; it'll blow over over time. But it was, it was pretty much of a failure in terms of announcing his candidacy for uh, president of the United States. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, listen. Uh, like you said, they'll look back on it and say, "Yeah, remember this, remember that," regardless of what the outcome is. Yeah. So, I think it's going to be interesting, um, uh, and we'll have lots. I'm sure. Over the coming months, we'll have lots to talk about that. <laughs> Absolutely. Say, I, I know uh, you yeah. are somewhat of a rock and roll buff, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Tina Turner died at age 83. What a young lady she was. I mean, uh, it's, it's, first of all, I really admired her. She was a great performance. Uh, great. She left it all on the stage whenever she was performing. But uh, also, Yeah, she, she did. What are your thoughts? Well, we were fortunate enough. I, I was a, I was an Ike and Tina Turner fan from you know at the beginning, and then of course uh, Ike was an abuser, and she um, she got out of that marriage with thirty six cents in her pocket. Um, and you know, if you get a chance to see that the original movie, it was really it was really moving and uh, and and terrific. But um, she um, she did it all herself. But what was um, great was that when we were in Lake Placid one summer, 
she came, she appeared there at the uh, Lake Placid Arena, which is a small venue, you know, where they have the hockey games and everything. And uh, sure. we we got a show like, oh, my gosh, it was incredible. I don't think we'll ever forget it. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, she was just an absolute phenomenal uh, human being and performer. And um, she did things that no other performer has ever done. She had the largest um, uh, audience ever. Uh, to this day, 180,000 people. She broke a record uh, for our concert that she did. Wow. Uh, yeah. So, yep, you're right. Uh, we'll, the, we'll, we'll definitely miss her. She was living in, um, I guess she passed in Switzerland. I guess she had a home there with her uh, with her husband, who she'd been married to for quite quite some time. Yeah, I mentioned uh, you mentioned thirty eight cents in her pocket, living with an abuser, and Ike Turner. But uh, uh, Bill's on the board of the uh, Center for Abused Women and Children, and yeah. uh, I guess this kind of strike is near to your dear and dear to your heart in terms of a cause. And yeah, she was a survivor. Yeah, no, no doubt. Um, and um, you know, uh, it's it's sad when you you know lose people like this, but you know life goes on, Bob. That's I'm right. Eighty years old. Wow. Indeed. So, so any 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 good scoop in, in uh, Naples? Yeah, I, I I see. Well, I knew that the uh, chamber CEO Michael Dalby uh, was leaving his post uh, as as CEO of the chamber, and he's going to Texas, take a Texas job. And um, uh, I'm I mean I like Michael. I thought he was. Um, I thought he was doing a good job, and and um, one thing I will tell you, politics-wise, and we discussed this, but I still think, and I'm going to keep at it until they end up doing it. I think the chamber needs to be involved in local politics. Huh. I've said before, I um, they they play a part in the elections. Um, I'm talking about city and county, for that matter, but city right now, um, they they could play such an important role um, in, in the city elections, and they choose not to, and I just have never been able to understand why. Um, but I keep working on them, and I keep uh, some of the powers of be there say, yeah, we really need to do this. Well, guys, here's a really, and gals, here's a really great chance for you, you know? That's right. Uh, I, well, they, I guess they want to remain nonpartisan. Yeah, well... You know, um, the the city election is nonpartisan, yeah. so there's no reason they couldn't remain nonpartisan. And uh, uh, kind of like our Greater Naples Better uh, Government Group, you know, we try as 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 easy as it is to say, it's difficult to do. You and I both know that. That's right. Say, you Bill, uh, I don't know if you're aware, but uh, Memorial Day uh, it's coming up on the 29th. Uh, Cuyahoga County Veterans Council is presenting. Uh, a, a day to celebrate and, and to recognize our uh, fallen soldiers at Hodges Funeral Home uh, on uh, the 9.45 a.m. musical prelude by the Pine Ridge Middle School under the bat baton of music director Kelly Parker. So I just want to make service begins oh, at 10 a.m. So I just want to make you aware of that. It's going to be a nice uh, moist morning of uh, recognizing <laughs> the contributions. That's that's terrific. One thing we, we do here in Naples is we recognize our, our, our heroes for sure. And if perchance next Thursday I'm not on with you, although I intend to be, I'm having a little, uh, I'm doing a little Bob Harden. I'm having some shoulder surgery on uh, on Tuesday. And um, I tore a tendon in, uh, a long bone tendon in my left arm. And so uh, Ouch. They, I'm going in there and they're going to work. Uh, they're gonna fix it up, and so I don't know whether, how long I'll be in a sling or anything like that. But uh, I'm I'm ready for it. All right. Well, listen, um, Bill, we'll be thinking good thoughts for you. Well, thanks. <laughs> and I really appreciate. I'll be calling on uh, Thursday. Oh, yeah. when, hopefully, I'm, I'm gonna be waiting. I'll tell you what. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us, Bill. Oh, take care, Bob. And All have right. A good Day weekend. You as well. Thank you. All right, uh, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Tomorrow we've got some great guests, including William Aitman, the senior legal fellow at the. Uh, Pacific Legal Foundation, Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston, and Esther Lully, she's the executive director of the uh, uh, Golden Gate, it's at N Golden Gate, the community uh, senior center. So uh, I hope you'll tune in tomorrow. Always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. <laughs>
so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs>